Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me are my fellow hosts, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Hi there. And today we are going to jump in to our second dive of RE4. So let's head into this with our characters first. So we have Leon, of course, Leon S. Kennedy, but I'm not going to cover him because we've already covered what he's done in between. Let's go to Ashley Graham. Good old Ashley. The annoying... Preteen bop star. <laughs> so Ashley Graham is the daughter of former U.S. President Graham. She was briefly held captive by the Spanish cult Los Illuminados as a means of gaining control over the presidency. She was kidnapped in 2004 by Jack Krauser, who was working for Osmond Sadler, while coming back home from her college in Massachusetts. And she is taken to a remote village somewhere in Spain. Which we already know all this. Do we know her blood type? No. Of course no blood not. Types. <laughs> um, if I had to guess a blood type for her, it would be blood type chicken. Chicken. <laughs> Listen, she's really not that bad, guys, okay? I know I shit on her a lot. I'd be probably obnoxious too if I was kidnapped from my home and taken to a different country and held captive. I'd probably be annoying too. So it's just, it grates on you when you're playing the game. It just grates on you. So let's go to the next character who I'm excited to talk about. Louis Sarah, but sadly no blood type. Uh, letting us down. <laughs> so Dr. Louis Sarah, let's get all formal here was a biologist native to an isolated region of Spain. He was recruited into Los Illuminados' research department to genetically engineer plagas and bioweapons and was ultimately killed in his attempt to undermine their efforts. Very, very sad. Which is the usual for anybody who tries to cross Umbrella. Of course. Or any Umbrella affiliates. <laughs> but he was a pretty cool guy. So... His early life, he was born and raised in an antiquated village in the mountains of Spain, which had shunned most modern technology in favor of an 18th century lifestyle. Nothing is known of his family life or childhood beyond his grandfather, who hunted in the forest beyond the village. Sarah left his home behind to make a name for himself in the modern world and earned a degree as a biologist. Dr. Sarah later returned to the village as it was being taken over by Los Illuminados. Osmond Sadler used the cult as a recruiting tool for his real objective in the creation of bioweapons for in international terrorism. Sarah led the genetic modification of the Plagas in an island facility and had instructions to make them more difficult to overcome. During his research, the various mutation effects one or several Plagas could have on hosts was investigated 
leading to El Gigante and Regenerador. Further research into human-animal hybrids resulted in U3, Verdugo, and the Novistador, which are all <laughs> BOWs we're going to cover this episode. When he became disillusioned with Sadler and the research he was performing for him, Sarah began planning his escape. With access to the internet, he attempted to contact a friend he met at university, hoping he would send help. Instead, he found himself in contact with Ada, then a member of the organization. Dun, dun, dun. The organization successfully infiltrated the cult with Krauser, but would later send Ada to serve as Dr. Sarah's liaison. So she was Sarah's liaison. Then Sarah was kidnapped by Batoris Mendez as he made his way through the village and was sealed in a cabinet to be interrogated later, which we know about that. So basically, just the end of him is he was getting a sample to Leon to use, so Leon could take it to the U.S. government. And he was also giving him those suppression pills. Mm-hmm. So the Plagas wouldn't gestate. And that's when he came to his better end. It was rest in peace. I really liked him. He was a funny character. So before we go any further, I want to point out a few things about these two characters in particular. Number one, I've just recently learned that Ashley was not kidnapped from home, but on her way to her new school. On her way from school to home. Oh, from school to home. So, (laughs) wow. Uh... But, you know, learning that, that's cool. But the one thing I want to touch base on with Lewis is that at some point, he recognized the fact that he's like, ooh, this is bad. I shouldn't do this. Only after he's created all of these crazy BOWs. (laughs) Yeah. I think what what they were getting at is he was um, not exactly hypnotized, but mesmerized by modern day society growing up in a town where there was none of that nothing and I think he just got a little bit carried away Mm. and was like look what I can do look at all these things I could do but then but then he got his morality back and realized this is bad my my thoughts on this are what if it wasn't just the ooh and awe of modern society, but also the that basically he was held captive to do this. In much of RE history, we've we've come to realize anybody playing with any sort of fire here is gonna get burned. Yes. But <laughs> but also that anybody who gets involved with this kind of stuff is pretty much held at their will. You know, against their will, I should say. So I think we can almost safely assume at this point that Lewis was held at his will uh, against his will like maybe a third of the way through and was basically forced to do these experiments. Maybe the initial ooh and ah of modern society kept him or got him there. But what kept him there was the fear for his life. Right. So and that's why he finally came up with a plan to escape. But it fell through. 
and that right there is why he is truly one of my favorite characters from RE4 because of that backstory alone. But anyway, let's continue to the next one. So the next one I have is Ingrid Hannigan. So Ingrid is a U.S. government agent for the FOS and often works with Leon. She worked with Leon for the first time during his mission to get Ashley. She contact Leon to ask how he was coming along or to give him information. So she was the one on your little handheld device talking to you, giving you information and seeing how you were coming. Uh, Also ultimately turning Leon down. I know. (laughs) So not too much on her, but yes, she did turn Leon down, which she's, you know, shouldn't have done. Okay, so Ada, the only really new thing with her is the organization. You know, the the one thing I've noticed about Ada is she's hard to pin down because we don't ever really get any info about her. Hardcore, deep in depth, until four. And that's in separate ways. And realistically, we just get her perspective of things throughout the events of four. Yeah, I couldn't look up much information on her in the organization both of them are secrety so the next one I'm gonna talk about is Ramon Salazar or salad bar like you like to call him (laughs) you mean Lord Salad Bar I don't know I just don't like him that much that I constantly butcher his name yeah I mean he's a little short and he has a really annoying voice yeah Yeah. did you know that they actually it's speculated that he is supposed to be like a Napoleon. <laughs> like that's what they were going that's for all with I could, that. That's all I could ever think about whenever he popped up on screen. But yeah, but it's funny because Napoleon wasn't really that short. No. He wasn't tall, but he wasn't short either. But yeah, so anyways, they were kind of going for a Napoleon vibe with Salazar. That's why he's really short. <laughs> so anyways, let's get into him. He was a nobleman from an unnamed rural region in Spain. He was the eighth Castellan to govern the region since the construction of his castle, which we kind of briefly went over already earlier. Mm -hmm. Salazar left his Catholic faith behind and converted to the Los Alumnados. All that disaster went down. He was only 20 years old. Really? Yeah, he looks older, even within a short form. But no, he was only 20 years old. Well, that's a prime example of kids don't do bioweapons. <laughs> so yeah, basically he was approached by Sadler. And, you know, who spun a pretty tale to him. And he got sucked in, of course. Maybe not really sucked in. I think he just kind of walked in. So... He has his castle, you know, that Leon has to go through. He has all these traps and all these BOWs in there. And he meets his demise by fusing with the Verdugo and is ultimately killed by Leon. So that's the end of Salad Bar. I mean, Salazar. He didn't really have 
which was to me was kind of a letdown. He didn't really have a huge part in the game. No, he was just there solely for the castle. Yeah, he was totally used, like one hundred percent. Oh yeah, definitely. So we have Bitoris Mendez next, and I mean he is terrifying. I think he's a lot more terrifying than Salazar and his like mutated form is different but he was a Catholic priest whose parish constituted an isolated rural community in Spain same one we've been in Mendez fell to the influence of bioweapons developer Osmond Sadler he led the initial hunt for Leon, Ashley, Sarah, and Ada Wong as they made their way, their way through his village. So, basically, he got sucked in as well by Sadler's pretty words and everything else. And he basically controlled the village. And of course, he met his demise in that barn outside of town from Leon again. Mm-hmm. So that's about it on Mendez. So I know we're going to cover this when we get to Sadler, but I want to touch on it now since we've both talked about the two big baddies that basically controlled turf. Sadler came in and made pretty deals with fancy words to get basically the entire terrain of this island under his control. Well, not only just the island, like the village and mm-hmm. everything else, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah. It's incredible to take a moment to stop and think about how how influential he was with just words. He didn't offer money. He didn't offer... Well, he... You're right. He didn't offer money, but Mm -hmm. he did offer power. Yeah, exactly. He just offered power to these people. He didn't offer money. He didn't offer, you know, fame. He didn't offer anything but pure, raw power. And these two jumped on it and commanded basically their people and their land to follow suit. Exactly. So the next one I'm going to go over is our boy Krauser. Okay, so the information from after Darkseid Chronicles to where he came up in 4. He faked his death in an accident and sought out Wesker to gain the power he desired so much after his injuring his arm in South America. And Krauser was then sent by Wesker to the Ganados Island to infiltrate the cult and steal a dominant species plaga. And although Sadler didn't trust him, he nevertheless gave Krauser a sample of it. And they hired Krauser to kidnap Ashley, promising him admission to Sadler's inner circle should he be successful. And of course he took this because he wanted Sadler's trust so he could steal for him for Wesker. Mm-hmm. So that is basically, and then of course we got the events that we've already talked about in four 
with him confronting Leon mm-hmm. and everything else because that's basically in between Dark Side and Four. He sought out Wesker, got the power he wanted, so his arm wasn't, you know, so his arm mm-hmm. was fine. And just like the name suggests, went to the dark side. So he specifically is the reason I brought up Sadler before we got to him, because Sadler is a prime example of power cannot sway all because Sadler attempted to sway Krauser in his favor. And it didn't matter because Krauser has an undying sense of loyalty to Wesker. Yes, because Wesker was the one that gave him the power to Mm -hmm. begin with. Exactly. So, yes. Oh, Krauser. I still love Krauser, even though he's a bad guy. He's probably my favorite villain out of the entire RE arcs. Just because he's he's the villain that became a villain out of basically betrayal and heartache. He has the most intricate backstory of all the RE villains, I think. You know, all the other ones just did it for power and for money, fame, whatever have you. Krauser did it because I'm broke and I know nothing but war. Exactly. You know, that's my head. Yeah. But that's what makes him the most intriguing enemy to me or villain period in the RE series is because of that tragic backstory for him. Yeah. I just think he's fucking cool. (laughs) I'm just going to briefly discuss Wesker. He pops up in everything. We've already talked to him or talked about him. The only thing I'm going to bring up is the fact that it might seem redundant, but he wanted the the dominant Plaga sample. Now, at this point in the timeline, he's pretty much in charge of this secret organization. Yeah, the, some organization, yes. For the for the ease of quoting it, let's just call it the Shadow Umbrella. Yeah. So, Wesker at this point has completely betrayed and thrown Umbrella organization itself under the bus. Taken on his new godlike status and started this Shadow Umbrella to build bigger, better, and stronger weapons. Yeah. Essentially, yes. Yeah. And like I said, there's not much to cover on him. Mm. So I'm not going to spend forever being redundant. So the last one I'm going to talk about is Osmond Sadler. Ah. No blood type. So his blood type is just evil. (laughs) (laughs) Blood type E. So, he is often referred to as Lord Sadler and the leader of Los Illuminados, as we already know. In the early 2000s, Sadler's leadership ensured the cult's dominance in the region through the weaponization of mind-controlling Plaga parasites to suit his plans for world domination. How Sadler discovered the existence of the mind-influencing animal species is a mystery, given his non-Spanish name betrays his nature as an outsider. 
Equally so is how he was able to obtain materials for bioweapons research and fund a paramilitary organization. He entered the region in the early 2000s, intent on possessing the Plagas to gain financial and military influence. The Plagas, as recorded in local folklore, has been hidden in ancient ruins below the first Castellan's new castle, which we find when we go through the mines in the game. Mm-hmm. You find the fossils of them. So that's basically why he manipulated Salazar mm-hmm. to get his hands on the Plagas. So with his local power cemented and Plaga-based bioweapons research underway, he moved on to his plan for world domination. So more redundancy, getting Ashley kidnapped, or, you know, getting her kidnapped, bringing her back, injecting her with the Plagas, all the same things. That was his plan. And so, of course, he met his demise at the hands of Leon at the very end of the game. He is the final boss he mm. fight. So knowing this new information... I think we can safely assume that Sadler just kind of walked in to Salazar and was like, hey, listen, I can promise you basically an army of unlimited potential and control of like 50% of the world if you just let me into the basement of your castle. Essentially, yes. So when he got there, that's probably when Sadler spilt the beans to Salazar saying, hey, by the way, these are parasites and they do incredible things and I'm going to experiment them and we're going to create super soldiers. Yeah, you know, no big deal. No big deal. And at that point, that's probably where they got, you know, the entire village on board was like, hey, listen. Yeah, because he basically wanted the village for more hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sadler is an incredibly devious man. I think he's even up there to compete equally with Wesker. I could see that, but nobody beats Wesker. No, because Wesker's always one step ahead. He's like five steps ahead of everybody. (laughs) But yeah, he was, he definitely was a force to be reckoned with and nobody to take for granted. Mm -hmm. Though he was, you know, easy to kill with that infinite rocket launcher. (laughs) Well, that's all we got for characters. So let's go ahead and jump to our mid-break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about our BOWs and Easter eggs. And here we are in the middle of the show. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking about new merch and stuff. But you know what I love more than that? Tacos. No, thanking our patrons. <laughs> oh, well, that too. Yeah. So I'd like to give a huge thank you to our official patron, Anthony Bellotti, our all-access patron, Remington Cloutier, and our VIP patron, Wolfslore. Thank you all for being such wonderful, amazing people. And just, I don't know. I just, ah. I'm just dumbstruck that we have such amazing patrons. <laughs> yes, y'all are awesome. And I want to give another huge shout out to all our listeners. Thank you so much for listening and so much for just helping us to progress forward and being here with us. It's just 
We love you all. You're all amazing. Spectacular. Oh, <laughs> I just can't say enough nice things. So uh, another thing we want said we were going to start doing in this portion of the show is we're going to start reading out some of our Apple iTunes reviews. So I'm going to le- read the most recent two. Um, and our first one is from on Yuse, and it says easy to understand for both RE fans and others. Five stars. This is a very understandable series with lots of funny facts included. I really enjoy this and appreciate the team for it. And we appreciate you. (laughs) We really appreciate the review. Uh, And our second most recent one is from CamCap13. Helps me through my workday. Five stars. Started listening because I've always wanted to learn more about the RE universe. Started listening and I can now say I'm always excited when I see a new episode upload. Highly recommend. Well, fantastic. <laughs> uh, the the reviews, the, the sharing, just the support we get in Discord, we absolutely love it and we love to see it because it lets us know that we're doing right by you as the fans, the listeners, and you know, it helps others discover us with all the reviews and sharing with friends. It all really helps. And we cannot, we cannot say it enough that we appreciate you all. You're all so wonderful. Yes. Uh, agreed. Thank you. <laughs> so with all that being said, let's dive into our RE news. So what do you got for us, Ariel? Ooh, I'm going first this time. Mm-hmm. So I read an article. Of course. Much like I always do. Always. And this one is from Nintendo Life. And the title is Capcom has updated assets for three classic Resident Evil titles. And it's got fans talking. Mm-hmm. So Capcom just shared updated assets for three of the games online, triggering speculation that we may be getting some more remasters in the near future which would be Code Veronica, Outbreak, and Outbreak File 2. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? I saw these photos and the remasters, the remastered photos look extremely similar to the most recent graphics in the RE3 remake. Yes. So I get where fans are speculating and I am in the same boat. Why would they update these graphics if they weren't already, you know, planning on something with these? Exactly. And I really, really hope that this is going to be a thing <laughs> because, of course, everyone, everyone is screaming about a Code Veronica remake. Oh, yeah. And I would absolutely love one. Mm-hmm. But also an update to the outbreaks. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, definitely. Especially with, you know, certain things being changed with the new remake games. Certain canon elements have been changed slightly. I would love to see how that's impacted the other games in the series from the past. Yeah. Because I want to go back to the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the lions and the elephants. (laughs) Tigers and bears. Oh, my. Oh, well, Daniel, what do you got for us this week? All right, it is merch as always. Oh boy! So on Etsy, there is a seller by the name of Generation or Generation 
CNC, that's G E N E R A C I O N C N C. And they are selling a luminous poster Umbrella Corp Resident Evil LED lamp. Oh. Which I want. So basically it has the umbrella logo on it, and then in a rectangle to the right of it, it has Umbrella Corporation mm-hmm. in it. And it is LED. You can get it in a couple different sizes. It ranges in price anywhere from twenty three forty to forty four forty five before shipping. But they do have it on Etsy, and we will share that in the show notes. But of course. I want it, and it's a red light. Red's (laughs) my favorite color. But of course. So I also have some merch. And this is something that's been circulating around since the original RE4 dropped. It's Leon's jacket. Which is funny, because my son has a jacket that looks almost identical to Leon's <laughs> jacket. Well, this is the real deal. <laughs> um, this is from fadseer.com and that is F-A-D-S-E-E-R.com and there is the Resident Evil 4 Leon Scott Kennedy cosplay long sleeve zip up jacket. It is currently priced at 127 dollars and 99 cents usd without shipping uh and it comes in a variety of sizes from small all the way up to 4xl and it is it's a polyester so you know it's a little cozy (laughs) (laughs) and it is a unisex fit so it fits on everybody Woohoo. I know. Um, and I will say, looking at the pictures online, it is almost an identical replica to the RE4 coat. The only difference is the slight difference in color and fur. It's just a lighter shade. Hmm. Ever so lighter. But yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> and I want it. <laughs> So that is all we have for the merch and news. Let's go ahead and jump into our B.O.W.s and Easter eggs. So we're back. And boy, let me tell you, we got a lot of B.O.W.s to cover. So I will start with the armaduras. When a plaga escapes from its host, it cannot survive for very long, sustain themselves, Some hide within the medieval armor within the castle to protect themselves by conserving their energy in a dormant state. They stretch themselves to fit all four of the suit's limbs, and they can defend themselves while they search for a new host. They attack with medieval weapons such as claymores and halberds. The weak point of the armors is generally the helmets, and if damaged enough, the plaga will break free of the helmet and expose itself from the neck of the armor, becoming vulnerable to gunfire and particularly flashbang grenades, which will kill an exposed Plaga instantly. There are two varieties of the Armadura, one in a lighter colored silver armor and a round helmet, which tends to contain a Type A Plaga and wield a broadsword, while the darker black and gold armor with a square helmet will usually contain a Type B Plaga that is incredibly dangerous due to its instant death head bite generally carries a heavy axe. 
Additionally, sometimes Armadura may attempt to ambush their victims by staying still amongst other armors, waiting until their target approaches before making a single attack when in range. This attack can be dodged and doing so will invariably cause the armor to collapse, presumably due to the concussive stress of hitting a solid floor. Once the attack happens and the armor falls, there is a chance that it will crush the Plagueis within. That is what I have on the Armadurus. Next up, I have the Chainsaw Man. Oh boy. One of Ariel's favorite. Listen, okay, before he dives into this, I just want to say the Chainsaw Man gave me an irrational fear of chainsaws in real life. Not even kidding. Don't worry, you don't have too much to worry about in my description of him. <laughs> chainsaw Man is a class of Chainsaw Ganado. The Ganado wears a burlap potato sack as a mask over his head. And they also have an equivalent known as the Chainsaw Sisters. Also terrifying. They don't give you much. Uh, the appearance is of a chainsaw-wielding villager, where typically wearing farmer clothes. Uh, he can be detected by the sound of a chainsaw revving nearby. <laughs> and the fact that his face is covered by a burlap sack. Yes. Can we talk about the fact that you can clearly see the inspiration behind the original Chainsaw Man was none other than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? See, the thing is, I've watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all the different types of movies they came out with. That never terrified me, okay? <laughs> I don't know where my fear of chainsaws came from for, because it's a video game. I truly wasn't terrified of the chainsaw wielders until the Chainsaw Sisters came out. I was like, I have to fight two of these things at the same time? And they're faster? <laughs> the only good things that come from the chainsaw guys and girls are the rubies you get out of it. It says, due to his size, sack, mask, and unique weapon, he is very easy to tell apart from regular villagers. Mm-hmm. And really the difference between him and the Chainsaw Sisters is that they can swing faster than he can. Yeah. Let's see here. Due to the Plagueis Parasite, the Chainsaw Man has been made exceptionally violent and is compelled to relentlessly chase his enemies with his trademark chainsaw. The question is, does he ever run out of gas? Also, due to the Plagueis Assimilation, he has been made exceptionally robust in comparison to regular villagers and can absorb small arms fire with ease. That is what I have on the Chainsaw Man and the Variant Sisters. I have now made it headcanon for myself that the reason they all wear bags over their heads and, you know, wraps over their faces is because they're trying to contain the parasite. It's headcanon for me now. <laughs> or they just don't look that great. Yeah. yeah you know. Or it was just a nod towards, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre instead of a skin. <laughs> mask it was a burlap sack don't take this away from me okay anyway sorry continue all right the next bow i have is the comios i think i'm saying that right they are dogs which have become hosts to plug up parasites and turn feral because feral dogs were already terrible enough as a result of parasitization, the teeth have grown or have been replaced with larger teeth either of which being unusual for a canine the level of development is enough that they cannot properly close their jaws. 
Camellos can be identified in a night by their highly reflective tapium lucidium, a tissue which covers the eye which glows green in low light condition. The spine of camellos suffers from deformities as a result of the parasite's growth in the abdomen. In a situation where a camellos is threatened, the plaga is liable to inflict serious injury by tearing open the skin so its bladed tentacles can be used as a weapon. As dogs are natural pack animals, they are known to adapt parasitism much easier than humans. When attacking prey, camellos tend to attack groups, with one going for the throat while another one flanks them. And that is what I have on the camellos. Just when you think Resident Evil couldn't make dogs more terrifying, they throw the whips out. Now I have one of Ariel's favorites, the Del Lago. Uh, wrong. More than 20 meters in length, Del Lago has an immense jaw with several rows of teeth, and from its throat, countless writhing plaga tentacles emerge when it swims to attack. Capable of devouring human beings, it was a true leviathan residing in the lake near the village's church. It possessed no discernible eyes, but its speed was deceptively fast in the water. Due to improper scaling of its size in comparison to an ordinary salamander, Dalago's legs became vestigial in nature and it was no longer capable of using them to walk. So basically, it's what happens when you give Dalagos to a salamander. <laughs> also can't explain why I hate the Dalago, but I do. Oh, I can explain that when we get to Easter eggs. No, that's why I hate you. <laughs> All right, next we have El Gigante, one of Aaron's favorite. The Cave Trolls. The Plaga with an El Gigante cervical vertebrae has has caused the person's body to exhibit extreme growth, reaching four times the height of its pre-Plaga size at upwards of 22 feet. Alongside this growth in height was a tremendous display of strength and stamina, along with the unfortunate side effect of a reduction in intelligence, as well as their decrease in controllability. Rendered as practically feral beasts, they would attack anything moving, including other Plaga carriers like Ganado. So they had no cares of who they attacked. No. No. That is really all I have on the El Gigante. (laughs) So make sure you save the doggo in the beginning of the game. Because he will come back and help you in the first Gigante battle. Which is beneficial if you just have starter weapons. Mm-hmm. Alright, the next B.O.W., which it's more like an enemy, is the Ganado. The Ganados exhibit a number of behavioral and biological traits that differ from unparatized humans. As the Plaga parasites have taken control of the central nervous system, Ganado hosts can be controlled or influenced by them. The host retains their memories and intelligence, unlike zombies, and can still communicate with other people and perform actions beyond simple survival instinct. Hosts are highly aggressive towards those not parasitized, but will still attack other hosts, mutants, or otherwise if necessary. Outside of combat, Ganados are known to maintain a lifestyle comparable to unparatized humans, with farm workers continuing to look after their cattle and using pitchforks to turn hay, 
However, their attitudes towards hygiene are noticeably different, and villagers were known to eat rotting meats and stews. As an effect of their prioritization, Ganado bodies become more durable and powerful, and their pain threshold is increased. These enhancements allow hosts to easily lift other people and withstand gunshots without response. If a Ganado receives too much damage, however, the Plaga may cause irreparable bodily damage by ripping open their neck to personally defend itself from attackers. Some Ganados are known to become stronger and more durable than others, and some of these villagers have armed themselves with heavier weapons as they are able to do more than the lower level ones. Yeah. That's what I have on the Ganado. Next, I have the Garador. They appear as large, armored, gladiator-like warriors with retractable claws grafted to each forearm. The Garador is a dangerous and extremely aggressive enemy which has a high resistance to frontal attacks. The Garador has two main weaknesses. The first is its lack of eyesight, and the second is its visibly exposed plaga erupting from its spine. Keep in mind though that flashbangs will allow them to detect the player and they will immediately charge. However, hitting the Garador with an incinerator grenade will disable them. The Garador finds its prey by hearing and will charge toward the origin of any loud noises in earshot, visually er, viciously swiping with its claws. Garador is extremely dangerous and can kill a player in seconds if they are caught in the path of one of their rampages. And that is what I have on the Garador. Okay. So, the first time you run into this thing, you are locked in a room with it. Yep, in the prison. (laughs) And you have to... uh, You're not necessarily locked in the room, but you have to kill it to get to the lever to stop the fire. Yeah, yeah. So... It's... The first time you see it, it's terrifying. And I thought, there's no way to top this. Then, later on, you run into a hallway that has two of them in it. With two bells and multiple minor enemies. And even before that, you get the one with the cage falling on you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. See, that one wasn't too bad. I wasn't too worried because you can shoot the lock off. You can run out, you know, give yourself a little bit wider area. These, the one with two is the fact that you had to, you basically had to use them to kill the other mobs in the area and then you could kill those two. Yeah. Unless you have the rocket launcher. (laughs) One shot with that and they're dead. (laughs) Alright. Next I'm going to go with uh, the Regenerador. It's a monster created by inhumane augmentations utilizing multiple plagas and human test subjects. Regeneradors are named for their artificially created high metabolism. If a regenerador is is injured, small tentacles sprout from the wound and appear to knit knit new flesh, creating entire limbs within seconds. This allows a regenerador to recover from bullet wounds, lost limbs, decapitation, loss of lower body, or even loss of the entire upper torso with little loss of overall health. The Regenerador appears as a large, vaguely human-shaped creature covered in hairless, seemingly rough, gray skin. Mouths are large, taking up most of their otherwise featureless faces, and are filled with needle-like teeth, which force the Regenerador into a grin. They have no nose, ears, or sexual characteristics. Their internal organs, including their brains, seem to have coalesced into a uniform mass. 
Although they are usually slow, walking with a distinctive, unnerving, palsied gait, Regenerators are capable of frightening bursts of speed when attacking, viciously slashing and biting, and stretching their arms to unnatural lengths to grab their prey. Regenerador may randomly run at the player and knock Leon down with his powerful arms, which is incredibly frightening to the player as it will happen randomly and quickly. They are also inhumanly flexible as they can be knocked back into impossible positions that would snap the spine of any human, bringing themselves up with ease, jesting the absence of a conventional skeletal system. They can also stretch limbs to extreme length in order to grab their prey, and when their legs are blown away they can move forward very quickly by slamming themselves towards the ground causing them to jump forward. This is all possible due to their bodies almost completely if not entirely consisting of pure muscle manipulated by the leech-like plagus hiding in its body. The presence of a regenerator nearby can be instantly detected by the sound of their erratic and strained breathing. And that's what I have on the regenerators. I just want to say that their freaking breathing is terrifying to hear when you're walking around and you hear... It sounds different than that, but that was my impersonation of them. Now our listeners that are listening to this in the dark are going to be looking around going, where? I thought that this creature introduced a very interesting mechanic that we haven't seen in our more basic enemies. Uh, You know, we get this mechanic kind of with bosses. We don't really get it with our more basic enemies, which is that you have to find specific weak points to basically kill them. Yeah, you have to get that infrared scope to mm-hmm. find the Plagas in their bodies and then shoot them. Yeah. I also liked the that you couldn't do it all the time. You could, And it was really only at one specific area. I did like the fact that you could use the nitrogen tanks to freeze them temporarily. Yeah. Just like the Verdugo, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, I have the Iron Maiden, which is a subspecies of the Regenerador. They share largely the same features, but what sets them apart, however, is the growth of sharp spikes on their bodies. As well, they seem to have lost their eyes, and when moving, they often twitch and convulse violently. These spikes on The spikes that are on them are strong enough to kill a human opponent should they be grabbed and forced to hug the Iron Maiden. Yeah, now these are the real terrifying ones. Because the other ones, yeah, they're terrifying. These, like, when they explode, or they, like, come near you and they shoot out, like, nope. They act like... I can't help but wonder if they didn't use some pufferfish DNA in these things. Pufferfish? I didn't even think about that. I mean, because when they expand their spikes, they also expand their bodies. Yeah, I did not even think about that. I mean, if you really take it uh, down to, um, you know, a genetic level, a lot of these humanoid-esque creatures share a lot of kind of similarities to beasts. You know, I I can't help, like I said, pufferfish DNA for this one, you know, uh, possibly praying mantis or even cricket DNA for another one that we will discuss here soon you know I I feel like there was a lot of genetic splicing going on especially in this one yeah puffer fish alright so next I will cover the Novistador although originally human most of their features make them look like insects 
Most notably, Novistadors have two pairs of glowing eyes, two antennae, and two pairs of wings protruding from their back. Their front limbs have three long claws that are sharp enough to easily pierce human flesh, evidenced by their ability to decapitate Leon. Take that, Ariel. <laughs> Aside from their razor-sharp claws, the other main weapon the Novistadors have at their disposal is a highly corrosive acid. This acid is capable of eating away at human flesh and muscle tissue. Although not an offensive ability, the most useful skill Novistadors have is the ability to camouflage themselves. They do this by altering the pigments in their exoskeleton to blend in with the environment. Although they can turn almost completely invisible, there are still several signs that can give them away. The camouflage is unable to hide their glowing eyes, and acid can occasionally be seen coming from their mouths even when not visible. Their primary means of movement are quick skittering movements across floors, ceilings, and walls, as well as temporary bouts of flight. A Novistador's wings are capable of supporting its body weight, but only for brief moments as a creature lands frequently. When in mid-flight, the Novistador is at its weakest, leaving it open to attack from firearms that will quickly ground it. And this is the one I was talking about with more genetic splicing. <laughs> like, they almost... You were talking about praying mantises and... Mm. Uh, like, I almost get like a locust vibe from them. You know, I, I can see that probably more plausible. Because they're weird little... When they come out, like... Yeah, and the, the way their wings are... Or cicadas, I mean. Cicadas. Either one, locusts or cicadas. Uh, the designs for them, yeah. I, some sort of insect, I guarantee you they were spliced with. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, it would kind of indicate butterfly as well, because, you know, when you collect the pieces, killing them, you put it into the butterfly lamp. <laughs> so... I could do a whole entire episode on all the freaking treasures that you get in four. I think we should. I would love to if anybody wants to hear me aimlessly rambling about all the wonderful things you can get in four. <gasps> Patreon exclusive episode? What? <laughs> all right. And that is what I have on the Novistador. Next up, I have the Plaga. A Plaga is capable of altering its host behavior by attaching itself to human central nervous system between lungs and heart. Plaga infection can be very painful to the human host and cause internal hemorrhage, coughing up blood, swelling of blood vessels around the eyes, fainting, convulsions, and hallucinations. For these reasons, juvenile hosts of the parasites inevitably die soon after the eggs hatch. The Plaga begins altering the host's biochemistry from birth, with the changing of the eyes to red being a common sign. The Plaga also causes mutations in the host by increasing their physical while increasing their physical strength and durability. For example, Ganados can remain standing after sustaining several gunshot wounds, and some can wield heavy tools without difficulty. If the host is severely injured, adult Plagas may tear through the neck and use their own bodies in self-defense. Plagas are social creatures, and hosts thereby also form a, peck, a pack mentality. The hosts may communicate via speech, 
Sarah's studies indicate that the Plagas themselves communicate via ultra-high frequency sound waves. A special organ exists to pick up these vibrations which can be interpreted as commands. This system allows the dominant Plaga host to issue commands to Ganados. It has been observed that not all Plagas will act well to each other. Even after gaining control of the mountains, Los Illuminatus saw fit to execute locals near the village and the castle dungeons for executions. Ganado mutants such as the Gigantos also acted violently towards other hosts. And that is what I have on the base Plagas. So, the only thing I could ever think of when these things would sprout out of the neck and start slashing about was Parasite, the anime. <laughs> I liked that anime. It was a great anime. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, come on, think about it. Every single one of those parasites that burst out, even the crawlers, it resembled a lot of what was going on in that anime. And I can't help but appreciate the fact that that was in there. Yeah. All right, next I have a Plaga C. These are real similar to the Plagas as they are more spider-like in appearance. In Spain, these Plagas were found by Leon to mostly inhabit the higher-ranking cultists and combatants. They are most durable, can spit acid over some distances, and detach themselves from their host following death. As they do look like a spider, they generally will lunge at victims intending on entering their bodies through the mouth. So what else do we know that uh, tries to enter through the mouth and looks like a spider? Oh, I know. The uh, facehuggers from Alien. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, we have another Alien trope here in the RE series. That's really all they have, that they will try to enter through your mouth, but they are too big to fit. So then I'll just end up ripping your head off. Yes. (laughs) So they are just a terrible spider-like Plagas that we don't want either. Next I have Queen Plaga. The Queen Plaga somewhat resembles a closed rose. It possesses three tentacles which it could use to swipe enemies to the ground to defend itself. As it asexually reproduced Plaga parasites nonstop, it could release adults into the open in case they could take out an enemy don't have much actual information on it. Let me see it. Because I think it's Salazar. Yeah, that's Salazar, isn't it? Salazar. Yeah. So, I think it's extremely interesting that Salazar ends up being the queen. (laughs) It... It's so fitting. It's so fitting. <laughs> he has control now. He has control. All right. Next, I have the U3. The U3 displays the biological features of each of its genetic benefactors, though imperfection in the, techno- in the technology that created it led it to appear asymmetrical in shape. The upper part of the body is that of a human torso, displaying a monstrously warped face and marked by strange scars upon its nape and crown. Its spinal column is also human in origin. The creature's right arm was clawed, while its left was a long tentacle which it used as a whip against enemies. Its four front and hind legs appeared bonded by a centipede-like fleshy piece of muscle. 
After its initial defeat in a cage fight against Leon, the creature mutated in order to continue hunting him. The Plaga residing in its spine erupted, giving it the ability to kill prey through the new set of jaws the parasite had to offer, being capable of slicing straight through a human being. In its third form, the human-esque head seemed to die, going limp and passive, while the monster used the Plaga head more and more exclusively, even using it to dig through the ground and ambush Leon from below. So it's basically a Plaga that has similar traits to the G-Virus. As the more damage you do, the better it becomes. Damn it, Wesker. Uh, this one was obnoxious. Obnoxious to fight. Because, of course, it's coming after you on many different things, and you have to go through the freaking time boxes. And then when you think you're good as gold, you're not. You're not, because it comes back. It was obnoxious to fight. That's why you fought it. I had to. <laughs> you kind of forced to if you want to move on. That is all I have on the U3. And my last B.O.W., the Verdugos. The Verdugos are at first unseen, their forms hidden under long red and black cloaks that bore Los Illuminados insignia. Their faces, however, were seen to be clearly inhuman, having shimmering red eyes and large mandibles, and their hands having only two long spindly fingers with one opposable thumb. Later, when one of them was sent to hunt down Leon S. Kennedy, it discarded his cloak to reveal a thin, insectoid body covered in black exoskeleton and having a long, segmented tail. As it tracked Leon, it would occasionally attack by thrusting its tail through the floor ceiling grate. Its carapace is harder than steel, allowing it to survive gunfire and explosions. The Verdugos also seem to possess very high intelligence, both showing the capability of restraint and violence. The Verdugo is capable of sneaking and hiding around before attacking its prey out of sight like a well-trained monster. It demonstrates the ability to not only walk upright, but swing its arms back and forth while running, a trait found only in human beings. Verdugo demonstrate the capacity to take orders and contain high levels of comprehension, as shown when Salazar instructed one to kill Leon and order the other to take Ashley to the ritual. A very good example can be seen when it grabs the knife in Salazar's hand, throwing it back at Leon, not only with pinpoint accuracy, but also while using two fingers with the blade aimed at Leon. The Verdugo does not appear to possess a thumb on either hand, but is capable of using its third claw in a similar fashion. The Verdugos also seem to stand very patiently and uniformly during several appearances. So very patient and ridiculously ugly looking creature. <laughs> the Verdugo, the one on its own, was to me the hardest one in the entire game to beat. Oh yeah. He was, in my opinion, harder than Sadler even. I would agree just because of the multiple phases you had to go through and the ridiculous time limit you had on that door. Yes. <laughs> you had to sit there and try to freeze it and then shoot it mm -hmm. and freeze it and shoot it and freeze it and shoot it. It's just, it was so hard. So something that always stood out to me with these guys was the very close resemblance they had to the Novistador. 
And I say this because when you look at the Novistador and you see their insect-like, you know, appearance and everything, the Verdugo seem to share similar appearances. They didn't have the wings, but they did have like the same colored skin and, you know, similar looking mandibles, you know, those shorter and smaller. To yeah, me, that's what got me, the mandibles. Yeah. To me, it seems like the Novistador may have been the first generation of the experiment and the Verdugo was the final element of the experiment because the Novistador weren't as controllable. So I feel like Sadler decided we need to go one step further and make these things less bestial and more tameable. The other thing I want to note about these guys is I feel like their genetic splicing potentially contained a lot of spider and scorpion DNA. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So, yeah, there's my tidbit on those guys. (laughs) That's all I have on them. So that's a lot of B.O.W.'s in this episode. And to make note as to why Sadler was not contained in the B.O.W.'s is because Sadler was not truly a B.O.W. himself. He merely used a parasite to manipulate himself into a B.O.W. So if you want to classify him in any type specifically, think of him more as like a tyrant type. He's just kind of his own variation. So with all that being said, to close our lovely episode on RE4 out, I've got some Easter eggs. These are these are some of these are pretty comical. So the first Easter egg we have here is the credits. So at the end credits of RE4 and at the very end of Hunnigan's transmission epilogue, there is a section that you can read and it says the characters and events depicted in this game are fictitious. Any similarity to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This game is protected under the laws of Raccoon Police Department. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability and criminal prosecution by an appropriate STARS member and then some. I read that the first time I beat this game and was like, yes! (laughs) Yeah, I remember reading that too. (laughs) So, another Easter egg we have is the gangster pose. So, when reloading the Chicago typewriter, while in the gangster costume, Leon will perform a special animation. If the player performs a few more reloads in quick succession, Leon will perform a different animation of him tossing and catching his hat. So if you do a bunch of reloads back to back, he will toss up and catch his hat. The throne room. This is one of Ariel's favorite Easter eggs. If you walk up to Sadler's throne, it has a question mark on it. If you click it, Leon will take a seat in the chair and rest his head upon his knuckles with his legs crossed for a few seconds. So this isn't really one that a lot of people miss, but in case you did, go to the throne room and check it out because it is hilarious. Another Easter egg we have is the secret cutscene. Barricaded in the cottage surrounded by villagers in chapter 2-2, if you shoot Lewis enough, a cutscene will trigger where he actually kills Leon. 
He gets tired of Leon's shit and just offs him. <laughs> I have done this. I can attest to it, and it is funny. Just saying. I actually have not. Oh, we're we're gonna have to do a replay after this episode recording. You're gonna have to replay and do it. <laughs> so, a dirty Harry reference. The description of the broken butterfly is a very powerful 45 Magnum revolver. This will make anyone's day is a direct reference from the famous line said by Harry Calhoun from Dirty Harry. That is a direct quote. And I think I'm the only one out of our friend basis that actually got that when I looked at the broken butterfly. Yeah, I didn't get it. (laughs) So another Easter egg is the Killer 7 Magnum is a direct reference to another Capcom game by the same name. The character's Cade Smith has an AMT hardballer that looks similar to the Killer 7 Magnum. And this game is called Killer 7. (laughs) So we have another Easter egg that I'm not going to cover because it is a very problematic Easter egg. You have to keep in mind when this game came out, there was a lot of different, different, you know, kind of things going on in the world. So I'm not going to cover this Easter egg. If you want to check it out, uh, you can look it up. It has to do with Ashley. So that's all I'll say, because, again, it's a very problematic Easter egg. So that being said, let's skip to a fun one that Ariel loved oh so much when I pulled it on her. The don't shoot the lake Easter egg. I'm ignoring you. (laughs) If Leon shoots the water repeatedly while he's standing on the wooden pier near the boat before proceeding to fight Del Lago, he will surprise attack Leon and swallow him whole. I did this to Ariel, I think when you first picked up the RE4 game. I'm still ignoring you. (laughs) Let's just say she's not happy now and she wasn't happy then. Uh, And the last Easter egg we have for this game is the wolf cutscene. So the wolf that Ariel referenced earlier that if you save will assist you in the El Gigante fight actually resembles Howie from the Haunting Grounds, which the Haunting Grounds is a PlayStation 2 horror game, horror survival game um, developed by Capcom. So I thought that was pretty cool when I figured that one out. I had no idea. So that is it for our prominent RE4 Easter eggs. And that is it for the RE4 cover. Ariel is super disappointed over here. Uh, yeah, there's so, <laughs> so much more to this. All of the puzzles, mm-hmm. all of the treasure. Yep. The spinals, the rubies, the emeralds. It's There is so much more to dive into this game. And I'm glad you brought that up because we've had a lot of questions from our fans. Are you ever going to cover the puzzles? The answer is yes. However, I think the puzzles will be best covered in their own individual episodes because what I would like to do is a deep dive on each of the puzzles. Not only the puzzles and their solutions, but the practicality and the actuality of real-life situations using these in the RE universe. Because if I have to type a password every time I go into the bathroom, I'm going to be mad. Or solve a complex, you know, slide puzzle. So, I feel like those puzzles deserve their own episode. Yeah, if anybody knows me uh, 
like well. <laughs> they know that I love puzzles. I love puzzles and I love riddles. I would absolutely love mm-hmm. to dive into all of the puzzles in Resident Evil. Yep. And we have plans slotted right now to do all the puzzles sometime after we discuss the final game in the lineage. So with all that being said, I think it's time for some ratings. We're going to go with Daniel first on this one because we already know what Ariel's going to say. Wow, rude. (laughs) So I'm going to go with four and five. I have not played it. I need to, but just listening to it. Now, it may get a five if I if I play it and I enjoy it then. So, listener, ignore Daniel's uh, rating because, you know, it's completely biased. Yes. <laughs> Four out of five, Rebecca's. Four out of five, Rebecca's. All right, Ariel, what's your rating? A uh, hundred Leon's out of five. <laughs> but in all actuality, it's not just because Leon's in the game. The game itself is amazing. It is long. You go in through and you don't even, you realize it's long, but it's not stagnant long. And there's so much to explore, so much to dive into. You have the new realization now that there's, this one's not zombies. Mm-hmm. There's still people. And it just, that's why I absolutely love this game. Everything aside, it's not because of Leon. It's because of the game. Mm. So I am going to do something as a first in the Resident Evil lore cast. I'm going to give this one a 4.9. Lies. <laughs> I have a very good reason. I would give it a 4.9999999 if I could. But let's be realistic. I can only give it a 4.9. The reason is the biggest part that upset me about this game the story was fantastic the enemies were fantastic the gameplay was fantastic the only thing that really upset me about this game was Ashley's AI Ashley would consistently put herself in dangerous situations even after being commanded away from those situations she was repeatedly slow after being given a command and would constantly get in the way of your gunfire and was really delayed when ducking to get out of the way of gunfire. Now, if you put Ashley in the iron suit, I will happily give this game a five out of five hunks. I mean, we're all entitled to our own opinion, however wrong it may be. (laughs) I have to be fair when giving these ratings. Well, and I tried to be fair on mine. Yeah. Yes, Ashley's annoying. She's obnoxious. You really just want her. You're looking forward to the times when she mm-hmm. gets captured. For sure. Yeah. But it gives you that little, you have to protect her. She's not there to help you. She's, yeah. you know. It's just for me, I mean, I really, I really cannot stress to our listeners enough that it is literally just a hair scratch on the beauty that is RE4. Do not let that discourage you from playing this because she does get kidnapped an awful lot and she is out of your hair an awful lot. Yes. Um, so don't let that discourage you. I just... Unfortunately, I can't just say uh, five out of five hunks with a small hairline scratch on there. You know, we have to be fair in our ratings. But 
that's I my mean, rating. Whatever. I gave a hundred Leons out of five. <laughs> so. so with all that being said, I want to thank all of our dear listeners and our patrons. Once again, you are all fantastic and wonderful and we love you. And that is it for this episode. So I want to say thank you all for listening and tune in next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.